Chapter 5 A desperate clamor against his side entrance door interrupted Albert's conversion. He returned to the office and admitted the visitors. Sparn and his friends straggled in. The kid had blood all over himself. He had tried to wipe his face on his clothes. That cleansing attempt now resembled tribal war paint across his face. The other ones had red streaks on various body parts and clothing areas, but nothing close to Richard. Moffat coldly eyed the group. Don't sit or touch anything. Where are the knives? Ricardo Morales said, in the car. Go get them, Moffat ordered. The well-built boy left and quickly returned with the knives. Moffat took them. I'm going to clean these in the kitchen. Use my office bathroom and clean yourselves up. Don't make a mess. Check each other and make sure you're wiped down. I don't want blood on anything. Albert went into his residence. Since his wife had retired for the night, he didn't need to worry about hiding things. At the sink, he washed the knives by hand and then put them in the dishwasher. He pressed the necessary buttons to start the cycle. When Moffat returned to his office, his group of young men was still in the process of wiping and removing blood. It took an additional 10 minutes for each of them to complete the task. Everyone finally sat. The kid was closest to Moffat's desk. Albert remained quiet. Each of the young men appeared excited, like 12 or 13-year-old boys spying on naked breasts for the first time. Richard reached in his pocket, withdrew $172, and laid it on Moffat's desk. Sparn said, Now the bastards will know things are going to change. Any problems? Moffat asked. None. That guy learned his lesson real quick. Guess what? One of his bitches was there. She walked out of the bathroom naked. Good looking bitch. Nice tits. I'll bet she made a ton of money. What happened to her? When she saw us and saw her pimp lying on the floor, she just stood there and stared. Didn't even try to cover her tits or anything. From behind Richard, one of the other young men butted in. I would have paid her right then for her to go down on me. At that point, all of the crew began hooting. Moffat broke in. Boys, boys, once everybody gets in line, you can run girls like that if you want. We've got more girls than we know what to do with. They're all beautiful. Somebody's got to tell the stupid bitches what to do. They listen, too. I've made sure of that. Another collective howl from the captive audience. Albert broke in again. You see why our work is so important? We'll have to see if everybody takes notice. If my people start calling me tomorrow and paying up, you can have your girls real quick. I may even take some away from the established guys and move you boys right in. But you know what happens if you don't do the right thing. In unison, they all laughed. Moffat let them finish, then said, Somebody please tell me what happened to the girl. The kid continued his story. She was standing there, not moving, not talking, and then she just walked into the bedroom. I was right behind her. I knocked her down and did her. The stocky Latino chimed in. We were about ready to leave. We all went in the bedroom. 
Richard did her good. Sparn spoke again. I didn't know what to do. You didn't say anything about anybody else being there. It was obvious she was one of his girls. Once I knocked her down, it just happened. Albert crinkled his nose and lips. Well, I hate to lose one of the working girls, but as I said, we have more than enough. It won't make a difference. We've got the police in our pockets, but still, it's probably not a good idea to leave witnesses, especially some dumb bitch. Now, did you search the place? The bastard owed me a ton of money. Sparn answered, we searched the place. That's all there was. Most of it was in the guy's pocket. Some was in the girl's purse. The kid had found four joints in a dresser drawer. That was not mentioned. They would be shared later with his people. Moffat reached across the desk and grabbed the money. He counted it and put it back down. The bastard probably has it in a bank somewhere. No problem. I know most of the bank presidents. I can check all the banks for accounts in his name. I'll get that money sooner or later. Albert stood, came around to his boys, and gave each of them $10. They treated it like it was gold. Moffat told him to stay in touch and ushered them out. He spent the next three hours in a recliner without giving what had just occurred a second thought. Each young man walked out feeling very important. They went to their individual homes, eager for the next few days and weeks, when their influence and significance would be rewarded. The blood on the jeans and shirts had dried, and, not having dealt with multiple murders before, no parent took note of what their child had brought home. The next school day, Classmates perceived increased arrogance and obstinacy in Richard Sparn and some of the kids he hung around with. It wasn't mentioned, however, as the hot topic of the day was getting killed in your own home and what the poor victims could possibly have done to attract their fate. Sparn's basketball coach stopped him and inquired why he hadn't been shooting in the gym. Sparn told them he was done practicing, said he was a professional now. The coach thought the answer odd and hoped Richard wouldn't lose interest in athletics. He was a born-again Christian and believed one could find Christ through competition. You're listening to Many Cones by Steve Listina.